Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a really beautiful day today. Please turn to number 370, and we'll begin our worship with Pass Me Not. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And now we will have our call to worship. Good morning. Good morning. Call to worship this morning is Psalm 18, 1 through 6. This is the Psalm of David, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my salvation and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compass me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. Amen. Yes, amen. No matter what is happening, God is with us. He's there. We can call out to him. And he is indeed worthy of all of our worship. So let's continue our worship singing number 90. Oh, worship the king, all glorious above. Number 90. Oh, worship the king, all glorious above. 
all of that and more. Let us pray. Lord God, we have gathered here together this morning in person. We know that wherever two or three or more are gathered in your presence, you are with us in a powerful way. So we ask that you would help us in a couple of ways. Please block out, blot out, Remove any distractions from our hearts and minds that would keep us from being very closely in your presence, from learning from you, from knowing you better. We want to know you better. We want to be better servants of you. We want your will to be done in our life. So please help us right now to just focus everything on you, not only now, but throughout every moment of our lives. Amen. And now, if uh, you will take your bulletin inserts, let us pray together our prayer of uh, confession. You have asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you only a whisper that we might not be accused. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them, for we did not want to see. You asked for our lives that you might work through us. We gave a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive all our calculated efforts to serve you, only when it is convenient to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy for us to do so. Father, forgive us, renew us, and send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. I, I love the way that's worded. It's from a contemporary worship book, and it really hits home. It, it really lets me see how often I'm falling short. But we have these words of promise from the Apostle John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's always God going above and beyond what we ask or expect. So let's continue our worship of the Lord. We will sing two songs. One about prayer, number 169, I need thee every hour. And number 305, all about the love of God. 305 second.
Amen. And now we will have the reading of God's word for this morning. Good morning. Scripture this morning is Psalm 69, verses 1 through 16, and words from Matthew. Save me, O God, for the waters have come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dry. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from that that hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto my according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And this is from Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Amen. That last word is indeed a good word. And now let us take our songbooks, but turn in the back to number 626, which is the Nicene Creed. And let us recite it together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Which means in Hebrew, it is true. And now let us go to the Lord in prayer. Covenant-making and keeping God, we praise you for your great, strong love to us and great mercy toward us in every circumstance of our lives. You always treat us better than our sins deserve. And in response to our prayers of panic and desperation, we can count on you always giving us what you know that we truly need. And your thoughts and ways are so far above our limited understanding. Thank you that we may always pour out our hearts to you, safe in the knowledge that you will protect us from whatever may harm us. Please help us to always love with your love the fruit of the Holy Spirit. May we always sense your presence and love you with all that is in us. May we always love our brothers and sisters in Christ, even those of other denominations and those we do not understand. And when it comes to our neighbors, show us how to love them with the love you have given us so they may become as we are in Christ, having a saving knowledge of you and your love. We pray that we together will both speak and be your truth in love to the world we live in, but are not part of. They do not know. They do not know better. They are ignorant of you. Please make us your instruments, your witnesses, that they may be saved. And as corrupt as our nation has become, it is not as dangerous for your people as so many other nations. We pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea and in China, Nigeria, Nicaragua, Haiti, Russia, Ukraine, and so many other places. And we pray, too, for the oppressors. Paul said he was the chief, the first among sinners. But you called him, you saved him, and made him part of your mission. May this happen to some of the despots. We pray for members of our cell in your body, as well as family and friends. We pray for Allie for healing in her body. We pray for her family as well. We pray for Elin and all that she needs. We pray for Fran, and may she be able to worship with us. And we pray similarly for Cindy and Jeffrey. We pray for Ken for good health in him his body, soul, and spirit. We pray for Ginny and her family. We pray for Peter, Linda, Billy, their mother, and their extended family. We pray for Christine. 
please give her strength as she stands for your truth and love. And we pray for Carol and ask for a miracle of fully restored health. And we pray for more faith in you for her husband Al. We pray for Noel and Darren and that they are in their church building worshiping you this morning with others. We pray for John and for all of Pat's family. And please help me as I explain, interpret, and apply your word according to your will. And please change all, all who hear your word. And may this be done through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And now, this is so wonderful that when words fail us, Jesus gave us a prayer that we are to pray together that covers everything. So with one heart and one voice, we pray to you saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, before we go to God's word, let's sing number 162. What a friend we have in Jesus. of safety and times of great danger. Now, the timing and intensity of troubles are unknowable to humans. Both the wisest man of his day, Solomon, and the man of wisdom who is wisdom, Jesus Christ, said this. And let me just paraphrase from Ecclesiastes, time and chance 
happen to all. And Jesus said in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the rain and the sun are on both the just and the unjust. So the Bible often uses waters to depict great danger to humans. And this may be because of the worldwide flood through which only eight humans were destroyed and the rest of people were wiped out. Now the portion of the psalm we are considering this morning begins and ends with its author crying out to God when the floods rise. Now this psalm was written by David, the human ancestor of Messiah. Messiah means anointed, which means king, and he's the eternal king, as Nathan said in his prophecy to David. And three experiences of David that we heard were also experiences of Christ Jesus, the Messiah Savior. Both of them were hated without cause. Both of them were hassled by their brothers. And finally, both had a zeal for God's house. Now, with this background, let's examine this psalm so we may be able to cope when the great floods of this life threaten to overwhelm us. So of the passages that we heard, they divide into two parts, and I'm going to give quick summaries before we look at the details. First, David cries out, God, save me from the flood, and even though I am guilty, do not let others be harmed. First part of this, God, save me from the flood. I am sunk in the depths And I'm worn out. Now, as I go through this word for word, this is going to be my attempt at the Puritan Psalter. I'm going to do my best to give you word for word from David's Hebrew into English. David begins, thou must cause my salvation, God, because waters have come to my throat. I have sunk in mire of deepness, no foothold. I have come in deep waters, and stream has overflowed. So here's his cry for salvation in these circumstances. David implores God to save him from rising waters that threaten to go down his throat and into his lungs. And additionally, he has no foothold because as these waters have gotten to his waist and and are, are coming higher and higher, he's being pulled down by underwater mud. Now, as this is poetry put to music, it's likely this flood is metaphoric for life threatening situations, all life threatening situations. However, the image graphically communicates the great danger David is feeling at this time, during this time when the floods are rising. David continues, I've grown weary in my crying, has been scorched my neck, have failed my eyes, hoping for my God. Now here David is mixing his metaphors, okay? He's in danger of going underwater, but he's saying his neck is burning to the point where he has trouble speaking, and moreover, his eyes are failing as he's continuing to wait patiently in his hope that his God will act, act on his behalf. And almost 300 years later, Isaiah was inspired 
to write that the coastlands, now this was a a metaphor for distant nations. In those days, people could travel much faster by water and go to places than what they could travel on their feet. The coastlands will wait and hope for the servant of Yahweh's instruction. This is one of the servant chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah 42. David continues, having become more than the hairs of my head, those hating me without cause, they have become mighty, those causing destruction, my enemies who lie. What I did not take away, I will then be made to restore. So first of all, he's talking about hatred, hating, those hating David without cause, without a good reason, are increasing. And Jesus quoted this in the upper room at the last Passover. Additionally, enemies are seeking his destruction through lies, and they want to force him to restore what he never took away in the first place. So putting it all together, this first part of the first half, David is recording what he is experiencing. And from this, we can understand why he sees this time in his life as the floods rising. Then he continues, and this is really important and heavy. I am guilty, to sum it up, but do not let others be ashamed, and furthermore, I have been reproved. Again, this part gets really heavy, okay? He continues, God, thou have known my foolishness, and my sins from thee have not been hidden. So David is doing what we should all do. He's confessing. To being foolish. Now, this is foolish in the proverbial sense all through the book of Proverbs. This is the sense that he knows he's morally deficient and he is rejecting God's wisdom and he's being impatient with God's discipline. Again, this is throughout Proverbs and David spoke to Solomon and Solomon says, these are the Proverbs my father taught me. Further, he's confessing that God both knows his deficiencies and he cannot hide his sins from God. So at this point, I'm saying, was David perhaps thinking specifically of Uriah here? Well, David goes on, not will be ashamed through me, those waiting in thee, Lord Yahweh of hosts, will not be confounded through me, those seeking thee, O God of Israel. So David is concerned about those more faithful to the faithful covenant God than he is right now. He's strongly concerned, very strongly concerned, perhaps, and I think definitely, that others will be harmed by knowing what he did to his faithful soldier, Uriah, who actually changed his name from his Hittite name at birth because Uriah means my light is Yahweh. And pagans wouldn't name their sons that. Then David continues. Because on account of thee, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Being made a stranger, I've become to my brothers, an alien to the sons of my mother. So David has borne reproach for his God. Let us never forget, even with all of his sins, and some of them were horrible, David was still a man after God's heart. And 1,000 years later, his son, his descendant, the Messiah, will bear even more reproach for his father God and on our behalf. Read it in the last chapter of Hebrews. And David has been made a stranger to his brothers and alienated from them. 
And if you remember in John's gospel, chapter 7, Jesus' brothers taunted him one of the years of the Feast of Tabernacles because they did not believe in him. So here's the second similarity. Continuing on, David says, because zeal of thy house has consumed me and reproach of those reproaching thee have fallen on me. Then I wept in fasting my soul. Then it became reproach to me. Now David did have much zeal to build God's temple until Nathan's prophetic word said that his offspring Solomon would finally build the house. And Jesus applied the first half line of this section word for word to himself early in John's gospel. Zeal for thy house has consumed me. So when David was seeking his God through self-denial, through fasting, his enemies reproached him for the third time. And then David concludes this first half of our passages saying, then I put on my clothes sackcloth. Then I became to them a proverb. That's what it is literally, but here is perhaps changed better, translated better, a byword. They will talk to me, those sitting in the gate. Taunt song, drinkers of intoxicating drink. So finally, David says he was taunted by drunkards when he was humbling himself before God. So now I'm going to bring out what I think is the first application for all who read this and for us. We must all have the assurance of salvation through Jesus so we may confess our guilt. And let us not be surprised when people reproach us, taunt us, reproach us. It's not unusual for those who try to follow God. Now, the second half can be summed up this way. David pleads for deliverance from deep waters according to, he says your, he's speaking to God, God's love and mercy. And now that Jesus came a thousand years after this, he said that when we ask for our needs, God will give us good things. So concluding David's words, he says, may your steadfast love and your great mercy deliver me from deep waters. So now again, let's look at his writings word for word as he was inspired. And I, my prayer to thee, Yahweh, in time of favor, God, in abundance of thy strong love, thou must answer me in the truth of thy salvation. So this is really heavy. David is strongly petitioning covenant God that in his time of favor and on the basis of his abundant, strong love, he would be answered with salvation. And uh, I learned this in eighth grade about plots and narratives. This is the climax right here. The rest is denouement. And here is the biggest application for us this morning. We need to both expect and accept that overwhelming events will come into our lives. But also we must know that we may call on God in expectation. He will always answer us according to his great, strong love. That's what David is doing here. And he continues, thou must cause my deliverance from miry mud and not thou will let me sink. I will be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. Not will overflow me deep waters. Will not swallow me the deep. Not will shut on me the pit 
its mouth. So David closes his prayer as he began it, asking for deliverance from enemies he had previously described as hating him. In floodwaters, the other problem. He's also petitioning to be delivered from the deep waters so he will not be covered over and swallowed up by water. David is petitioning for salvation for body and soul. Here's another thing for us to take to heart. Whenever overwhelming events come into our lives, we need to call in God, on God, in expectation of full salvation. He alone can deliver us when floods rise. And then David's last words that we consider this morning, thou must answer me, Yahweh, because good is thy strong love. According to multitude of thy mercies, look to me. What's this all about? It's about God's character. What David says of Yahweh's goodness, steadfast love, and compassion, mercy, they are all derived from Yahweh's self-revelation to Moses. And I've chosen to quote to you from the New Jerusalem Bible because I think it gets the closest to what Moses heard. Here's what God said to Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh. God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in faithful love and constancy, maintaining his faithful love to thousands, forgiving fault and crime and sin, Exodus 34. So again, let's make it personal. May we all know and experience God's steadfast love and great mercy through deliverance from deep waters. And now let us look at what pulls this all together for us, although there's a couple of very deep thoughts in here. Let's now look at Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. He said to ask his Father for what we need, and he will give good things. So Jesus continued his speaking. You all must be asking, and it will be given to you all. You all must be seeking, and you all will find. You all must be knocking, and it will be open to you all. Now notice, this is plural. This is for all disciples. Jesus is commanding all of his disciples together to keep praying in three ways. And then he also gave three promises with each command. Now, while they will find as they continue to seek, the other two promises are in the singular passive. I learned a technical phrase called the divine passive, and this is where unbelievers miss God. But what's really happening here, Jesus is speaking in such a way to indicate God will give them what they ask. And God will open things in response to their knocking. And now this gets kind of heavy, and I think it answers some big theological questions that a lot of people have. Because Jesus now switches from the plural of the community to the singular. Because each one asking is receiving. And one seeking is finding, and to one knocking, it will be opened. So these promises, these sure promises were given to the community. However, each member of the community has individual responsibility. I believe Jesus is saying here that anyone who is not asking in that community, anyone who is not seeking, anyone who is not knocking, they will receive nothing. 
No individual member of a faith community is guaranteed what is guaranteed to the community as a whole or to the church. So think about that. It's heavy. I admit it. And then he says, or what man is being out of you all whom if his son will ask him bread, not a stone will he give to him? Or also, if he will ask a fish, not a serpent will he give to them. If then you all evil are being, but you've still known good gifts to give to the children of you all. What's happening here? Jesus is addressing human fathers, confident that even though they have some evil in them, They will not respond to a reasonable request of their children with something dangerous, but rather they have known to give good to their children. So here's the heavy bottom line, the good bottom line. How much more? The father of you all who is in the heavens, he will give good things to those Asking him. But here's something it took three or four years for me to even begin to understand, and I'm still working on. God always gives his children exactly what they need. But if we think about it, we realize it should not always be what they want because they, we do not really know what we need. But what the father gives his children is better than what they want. So last application this morning, last word. May we accept God's good things in answer to whatever we request of him. Just like David, just like all godly people know, God always does what is best. He always gives us what we need when we pray. So let me wrap it all up in a hundred words or less. One who zealously seeks God is being overwhelmed by floodwaters and reproved by those hating him. But as he confesses his guilt, he prays that others will not lose hope because of him. And then he renews his plea for deliverance from deep waters based on God's character of strong, steadfast love. And we know now through Jesus, when we ask God to meet our needs, he will give us good things even when floodwaters rise. It's true. And now... Um, let us close. Uh, I think it's really appropriate we sing this. Um, I could sing it every week. 299 Amazing Grace. Oh,
John Newton actually wrote at least seven verses to that hymn, and I have uh, the other three in a book, and if you go to an Anglican church, you'll get at least two of those other verses. Well, um, for our uh, good word, benediction, this is a portion of Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And let us close with singing a song that I think pulls it all together, what we have experienced of God this morning. Number 53, you are my hiding place. 53. Oh,